Hello and welcome to the Story X Story podcast, where we discuss stories across pop culture, plus give you advice on creating your own. It's episode 159 and I'm your co-host, Nigel. I am Tazzy, content creator and co-host. And as always, we're here bringing you interesting discussions with diverse voices and to help us out with our examination of social class constructs is writer and comic creator Christian Carnouche. Christian, welcome back to the show. Hi, guys, and thanks so much for having me again. Yeah, thanks for coming back. Uh, We last spoke about Snowpiercer, so we had you on for episode 70, back when we are in double digits, we're now in triple digits. So um, yeah, you're back with us talking about another Bong Joon-ho story, so this seems to be a theme, we can keep that going. And also with us is writer and games journalist Gary Swaby. Gary, also welcome back to the show. Hi, Nigel. Thanks for having me back. I always love being on this show because um, I just like how you kind of um, weave in like the, the storytelling tips and stuff. I, I really appreciate that as a writer. So good to be back. Oh, nice. I appreciate that feedback as well. Anytime you want to throw in some positive feedback, feel free to. Uh, so we last had Gary when we talked about Thor, Love and Thunder, which was garbage, but that was not Gary's fault. Uh, that is a that's a Kevin Feige issue. Definitely, definitely not my fault. Yeah, <laughs> we don't hold that against you. We've got, we've got a better thing uh, to talk about today. So uh, glad to have you both with us again. You can subscribe to Story X Story wherever you get your podcast from. You can send us your feedback and questions to studio77 at myamada.com or follow us on social media. We are at myamada on the platform we are still calling Twitter at My Matter TV on Instagram and TikTok, or at Tazzy on all the above. Uh, you can also send us questions on the Spotify app as well. So many ways to get in touch. Uh, and we continue to work on the new Studio 77 membership, which once it's done, will give you access to our video content. We'll be putting that up on Twitch. And then when it disappears from Twitch, you can still gain access, as well as our manga content and special access to My Matter events. You can always join the Discord for free today and be part of the MyMada universe and meet others in the community. And we'll have more on the membership as it comes together. So before we get to today's story discussions, let's update you with the latest from the MyMada universe. We are working on new manga. So we have the Kickstarter for the Against All odds manga which is part of our origins series so it has been a long time in the making but it is uh, coming so you can check out the preview and then the preview kickstarter page and then we will make the campaign uh, live so if you're listening to this pretty quickly you have only just missed the live stream that we did where we talked about the campaign um, and if you're listening to it later then yeah you was it's long gone but either way we had a live stream and we talked about campaign and some other things with our guest, Lara Callahan. The Kickstarter itself is for the manga, which features Tazzy's character in the My Matter universe and is a reflective and hope-filled manga about pursuing your creative career goals in the face of resistance all around you. So um, something we're going to hopefully have out that's going to resonate with um, people pursuing similar passion. So looking forward to putting that together and hopefully people jump on board uh, that as well we are going to thought bubble so i will be at thought bubble 
in Harrogate. Um, so that is on the 11th and 12th of November. So you've either got a few days to jump on board and, and see me there, or you've just missed it and uh, see you there next year. But I would have been taking our manga and doing a workshop on the Sunday of the convention between 1.30 and 2.30. So we're going to be doing a uh, Yonkoma manga session, which I did a couple years ago, which was really fun and uh, well attended. So it was cool to see people interested in like the manga format or just comics in general. It's a cool event. We also have our Do I Look Like a Gamer video game representation campaign, which is promoting inclusion and diversity in the games industry. And it's now a yearly initiative. So we're building on the work that we did last year and continuing the push for diversity in games, culture and industry. So that means a new snapshot of 40 players and makers showcasing the representation that does exist as a means to inspire future generations of diverse talent. So we're going to do that every year. And a new schedule of events. So we've had a bunch of events. We've got one more left. So we've been to Comic-Con twice. We've been to EGX. We have talked at Develop. We've had appearances with Activision. I always feel like I missed something when I list off things. But we also had our own events. We had roundtable events. We've had networking event. We've had game jam events. We have unfortunately had to cancel our friends and family video game jam. So that was scheduled for the 18th of November. We've unfortunately had to cancel that. We had uh, ongoing issues with uh, multiple venues and uh, at some point you've got to draw a line under that. So that's a shame because we were looking forward to putting that together, but we will make it a part of the 2024 campaign schedule. Hopefully all the venue issues will be sorted out. So yeah, sorry to anyone who was uh, looking forward to attending that, but we've got stuff in store for you. That means we are ending the year with our last campaign event which is a live stream. So it's our International Future Summit, which will be on December the 16th, where we will be recapping the year of the Do I Look Like a Gamer campaign and looking ahead. So it'll be a live stream, bringing together video game fans, aspiring professionals, current professionals from around the world, or as far around the world as we can uh, we can get them. So we're going to be discussing future trends in the industry and including the voices of current and future talent hence future in the title, and also letting people know how they can go involved with next year's campaign. So very much a forward-looking uh, live stream there. And uh, yeah, we'll have more announcements on that in the coming weeks. So make sure you follow us, follow us online. Thank you to Rocksteady Studios for sponsoring this year's campaign, helping us ensure we're making the events and activities free to participate in. Over on our Twitch channel for our Studio 77 activities, we have a few things happening. So earlier this week, we had a live stream for the Casual Conversations with Comic Creators. It's our monthly series where each month I speak to a different comic creator about the craft of making comics. So it was a special event because we've had an anniversary of being a Twitch affiliate. So I celebrated that. And our guest was Whip Comics member Lara Callahan, who I did the episode zero of Casual Conversations with Comic Creators. And then towards the end of the month, on the 24th of November, we will be playing Bish Bash Bots, which is a new video game, indie game that came out last month. So we're going to be playing that live on stream on the 24th from 7 p.m. GMT. Uh, you can also check out the past Games Nights highlights on our YouTube channel. And if you're a young aspiring creative professional or you know of one then check out our showrunners work experience program so we're making opportunities for young people age 16 and up 
to work with the My Matter team across comics, video game events, and content creation. So you can email us at hello at mymatter.com to find out more. Now you're all caught up with the My Matter universe. Let's talk about some of the stories that we've been enjoying this week. So this is a chance for us to have a spoiler-free discussion of the stories that everyone has been reading, watching, or playing. And we will start with our guests. So if we go over to Christian, do you want to go first? No worries. I always struggle with this because I'm very hyperactive, so I'm always reading and watching a lot. So I don't know what to choose. But um, I mean, it's a hard choice. But I am the book I want to talk about is Let Hunt. So it's a French book translated a uh, French sorry graphic novel translated into English I think recently and the title in English would be The Embrace so it's written by Jim with art by Laurent Bonneau from 2021 and I actually just reread it so I read it a couple of years ago when it first came out when I was living in France and I just reread it now like in the last week and it's, it's a story about a sculptor who basically just takes a photo of a beach in Cadiz uh, Spain and then after developing a photo, he becomes uh, infatuated with this sort of unknown woman who's sunbaking in a photo. And the story is just about him basically pulling out all stops to track her down. That that does sound a bit creepy, but it's um, it's more of a sort of exploration of, of, of art and beauty. Uh, and it's a very sort of quiet and character-driven story. And what really drew me to the book was um, the art. It's just mind-blowing and incredibly cinematic. And uh, my wife and I actually read the book a couple of years ago when we were scripting the graphic novel that we're just about to publish, Tunis to Sydney. And it really did inspire sort of um, some of our script scripting decisions. Um, yeah, so I know I read that in French, but I'm pretty sure it's out in English and I really do recommend, recommend it to anybody. Nice. Um, I mean, that sounds really, really fascinating. Gary, what about you? What stories? Do you want to share with us today? Uh, yeah, so um, I actually finally got around to reading uh, the One Piece manga. And um, this has been something I've kind of like been neglecting for years. I know it has a huge fan base. Um, and I remember seeing that it has like thousands of issues. So that kind of like put me off wanting to get into it. But um, I figured it was finally time I was looking for something new to read um so i decided to pick it up i went into it completely blind like I, I didn't know anything about it i didn't know luffy was a pirate or anything like that so um it's been good so far i'm i'm, I'm about six issues in i think it feels like it has a bit of a slow build up but at the same time it's very like charming uh it's it's funny and charming in its presentation and its setup and everything so i'm i'm still interested and invested and um, a lot of people tell me that it gets really good. It gets real deep. So I'm looking forward to seeing like the pace of the story switch up and get a bit deeper. Yeah, I've been I've also been reading uh, the One Punch Man manga. And what interests me about that one is uh, you have like a, a, a very overpowered protagonist, um, sort of like Superman. And I'm always curious to see how uh, writers handle that, like, you know, how they handle the OP character and make them interesting to read, because it can be boring to know that a character is going to win, you know, every battle or something like that. But 
they have a lot of fun tricks that they use in one punch man like um it's very satire as well so like they uh they have saitama the main character they have him in like a superhero sort of guild thing and they they set his rank as a superhero very low even though he's like the strongest character so like that gives some sense of like progression because like he he ranks up very slow compared to everyone else even though he's the strongest so that's kind of funny to to read and then there's a lot of other interesting characters around saitama that that add to the story kind of thing so that's another manga i've been reading um on top of that i've also been watching uh power book four force which is like a crime tv show and the reason i watch that is because i actually do a podcast where we review every episode of power so that gives me reason to watch it and um, i'm very into like crime shows and um, crime documentaries and things like that like stuff like that fascinates me and interests me so yeah so i very much enjoy those kind of shows and then uh the last thing i want to talk about is a game that i've been playing which is cyberpunk phantom liberty this is actually like a an expansion of the original cyberpunk game and it actually stars idris idris elba in it as well as well as uh keanu reeves and yeah uh, this was very good i think like i think this expansion outdid the original game even like it was that good in terms of the story it told um, i'm very much into like um, hackers and you know sci-fi kind of stuff like that so uh it it very much interested me and um it also it felt like a a James Bond sort of story as well. Like it had, uh, you know, it had uh, intelligence. Uh, what do you call them? Like like CIA type agents and stuff like that in there. So all of that was very interesting. Like spies and stuff. That's about it at the moment. Mm, you've got like a nice variety going on there. Oh yeah, I tried to keep that variety going. Hmm. I've been continuing my binge of lots of lots of anime. Um, so I think I brought up that there was one I wanted to talk about this week, but I, I was going to wait. And I was going to wait till I finished it, well, until it finished the season. But I've been watching Zom 100, Bucket List of the Dead. And honestly, Nigel, I feel like you would really, really love this. So it's, I mean, it's about a zombie outbreak, as the name suggests. And it's someone who has writ a bucket list of things that they want to do, but with their newfound freedom during this zombie apocalypse. Okay. <laughs> and it is a very much like break free of the system and okay. like live your live your dreams, fulfill your goals, live your best life storyline in the most hilarious way because it's in the middle of a zombie apocalypse. And I especially like the use of like color and lack of color to represent the stages of their journey so yeah it's uh, i love it it's so good i've been really enjoying mm. it i'm intrigued yeah i think i think it's one you, you should you should hop on uh nigel for sure i think you'd enjoy it i also completely binged my happy marriage i couldn't remember if i spoke about this last time or not but if i did then you're getting a double dose <laughs> but my happy marriage is an anime that started off as like this kind of 
this like slice of life anime with the main protagonist having a less than ideal life. Uh, they got dealt some unfair cards at their birth. Or so you think. Um, <laughs> and they end up being in a marriage that changes the course of their life. Not because of the marriage. Well, kind of because of the marriage. But it's really nice and it's really it's a really beautiful story about like how two people meet and how like someone builds a new life and new relationships and breaks another one breaking free of of some chains mm. that hold someone down um <laughs> <laughs> apparently i've got a got a theme going on here because then there's another anime that i uh recently watched the whole of uh, the whole se- season of is the Yaku the inner chambers oh which is like a not quite society flipped, but kind of. So this is set in the, I think I think it was the Edo period. But there's like a deadly plague that has diminished the the amount of men there are in the society, and then it's kind of going through the history of how they ended up, and there is a leader that. Is like, why do we do all of these? Like, why do we have all these, you know, traditions? They seem stupid. <laughs> Let's get rid of that. <laughs> and the, yeah, the government, like the governing board, like people as part of the government are just not necessarily happy with the choices that this new leader is making. And then it goes throughout like the history of, of why the traditions exist. And it's really fun because you get to see like loads of different people's uh, experience and how that affected the the society and how it's run and why everything's done a certain way. Uh, at the same time, it's like this romance story. And tw- Actually, there's a few different romance, but it's just good. It's really good. I really enjoyed it. I really hope that it gets the second season because it, it's not finished. <laughs> it left me with so many questions. Um, and then I've been trying to catch up with Attack on Titan because the finale just came out recently. And I was like, ah, I kept meaning to catch up. I like restarted it several times to try and not get lost. And then I realized I it doesn't matter how many times I restart it, I still have no idea what's going on. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do wanna do wanna catch up and um know what why one loves Attack on Titan so much. Maybe not so much after this ending from what I'm seeing on on social media. But Oh really? Ooh. Yeah. Anyway, I I wanna know I wanna things. know. Yeah. It's like been ten years. I was like, when I saw like people posting like, oh, the end of this 10-year journey, I'm like, Tackle Titan's been on out for 10 years. Whoosh. Anyway, Nigel, what are your stories? Yeah, so I haven't been watching much. So uh, much of mine are things I've been I might have mentioned before uh, anyway, but I'll just like touch on them and see see where we get to. So uh, I've been continuing to watch It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And I don't know why. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, was it last time you um, questioned the? <laughs> I still so like I had to I had to actually look up the synopsis about this. So it's a show that's set in Philadelphia, and it's and it's described as five toxically codependent and selfishly motivated friends run a decrepit Irish bar 
that bears witness to all kinds of trickery. And yeah, that's a that's a good description of the show. I don't know if anyone else has seen it. I know Tazzy, you've seen some of it, but it's just I said this before, but it just it continues to strike me. Like these are not good people, and it's weird to watch a show where your main protagonists are just like not good people. Like whatever the worst thing to say or do at any point they do they they are they i don't know why they're friends i don't know but there's something that obviously keeps me coming back because it's just it's just become one of those have on not quite in the background it's not that i don't pay attention but just i don't know there's something it's almost like watching a like when there's a, a car crash or a train wreck and people slow down to watch it that's how I feel about this show. Just like, <laughs> just a cur- morbid curiosity about how these uh, people live their lives. And I think what is, I'm going to say quite clever about the way they've done the show is that they do, they do often lose. And I think that's what makes it okay. There's, there's some science going on in the show, but uh, it's just interesting. So yeah, I'm uh, watching that. Continuing to watch um, Haiku, which is way more wholesome <laughs> than, than that show. So maybe I just needed to, balance uh balance out but that story is about the uh, the volleyball anime uh, essentially and even though i don't know much about volleyball it's done in such a way where i am now learning about volleyball and it's got the the anime sort of you know have a goal go after the goal i'm going to be the best i'm going to improve i'm going to overcome obstacles and yeah it's just a really nice journey i'm still fairly early but it's a nice journey that the, the characters are going on and learning to become a, a team finding out what each person brings to the team meeting up with their first challenge or feel or first real challenge that I'm on at the moment so enjoying that I just realized mine are quite sports heavy which is not ultimately surprising but just being aware of that uh, I've also been watching Winning Time Rise of the Lakers Dynasty I know I've definitely mentioned that before but I feel like I because they're quite long episodes so I like watch an episode uh, digest it uh, and without getting into too much spoilers I mean it's a based on a real life story but it's just it's really this show is really fascinating to me on how it takes on leadership and seeing like characters having to step into leadership positions and how they approach it versus other people and so I'm kind of learning about this period in in the Lakers history but seeing uh, one of their like quite famous coaches uh, Pat Riley take charge of of things and yeah just needing to change not change who he is but change his approach to to being in a leadership position and yeah just everything about the show is is really well done it's funny in places it's quite slick it's got that sort of 80s or late 70s 80s uh feel to it but it's very relevant in terms of like uh leadership and winning uh, and what that means for different characters so i'm liking that journey and then i've also been watching the david beckham documentary which is a documentary but also a story because it is definitely a a narrative being being painted here but uh it's a really good good one i will say um it's weird seeing a quote-unquote historical docu- documentary that i was there for <laughs> uh that doesn't make me feel good <laughs> gotta get get that out it's like that's weird it's like I, I remember that i was i was there and i imagine there are people watching i'd be like oh i didn't know david beckham did that i was there um well not physically there but i watched those matches but it's also interesting to to see the story that they've pulled out of his career obviously David Beckham uh, many people know him as a uh, super famous married to a super famous person but just seeing the almost like the, the other side and the stuff even though I was aware of things at the time just seeing how that narrative is painted and how you do it for a documentary so uh, real life occurrences but 
dramatized way. Yeah, just uh, interesting to see that process. So that's uh, pretty good. About halfway through, pretty good documentary has given me new insight on that. So it's a different type of uh, story being told there. But those are all the things that I've been uh, listening, watching, need to do more reading, maybe next time. But it's been a busy time. So I don't know if you know, but with um, I watch Winning Time as well. It's excellent. Did you know the writer is also a comic book writer or at least oh. one of the writers? Rodney Barnes. I'm pretty sure that's the case. Uh, he wrote like Philadelphia. Uh, he's a black American guy. Uh, he's written like a huge, huge amount of like big sort of big comics. But um, I love that show. Okay. But sadly, uh, I think it got cancelled after two seasons. Oh, it got cancelled. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, I think I think it did. I watched two seasons and I think it did. Yeah. Yeah, I'm making my way through the second season. It just oh, it's, that's a shame. It's a really good. It's really well done. Good, well done it? show. But yeah, that's uh, all right. Well, I'm going to savor these last three episodes then. <laughs> Sorry to spoil the uh, yeah. No, it's the okay. Lives. <laughs> you, uh, I'll I'll prepare myself for the blow that's coming. <laughs> um, so those are all the stories that we have been enjoying. Now let's get to our main story discussion. Today we're going to be talking about Parasite, the 2019 South Korean black comedy thriller directed by Bong Joon Ho. Uh, who co-wrote the screenplay with Han Jin Won. The script is based on Bond's source material from a 2013 play and was inspired by the 1960 1960 Korean film The Housemaid and by the Christine and Leah Papin incident in the 30s where um, two housemaids killed their uh, Owner, not owners, but uh, killed other people in the house is the whole thing. But uh, spoiler alert, we're going to be getting into all the um, nooks and crannies of the story that we have time for. But let's first get everyone's quick takes and general impressions. Uh, so Christian, starting with you, what did you make of this story? Yeah, so really fun movie um, with obviously a very important and deep message. And it's just absolutely relentless in its intensity and and mm-hmm. pace um so it really is very gripping draws you in straight away and doesn't let you go and i know this is something that's sort of been spoken about a lot but what really stood out for me on the first watch um when it first came out at the cinema was the imagery and obviously it's a visually stunning film on sort of a purely aesthetic level but there's so much intentional symbolism in the choice of imagery and I know we're we're going to talk probably talk a bit about that later, and then obviously you know the the plot and the themes are fantastic, and the production is just absolutely flawless. Like I just can't fault anything in the movie, mm. like really. Uh, yeah, so that's just my initial thoughts when I first saw it. Okay, Gary, how about yourself? Is this a subsequent time you're watching, or is the first time you're watching? This is actually the second time um, I watched it when it first came out, and then I watched it again in preparation for this podcast but um yeah it's a, it's an excellent film i loved it uh both times cinematography was incredible like there's a lot of intentional shots and stuff that kind of tell the the story on a deeper level um so they you know it was a master class in cinematography and also you know i just love i love east asian storytelling because they don't shy away from like difficult topics and stuff like um, they don't shy away from like the deep stuff, so you know uh, you you'll find a lot of um, a lot of instances of like you know classism and 
mental health and things like that, you know, and, and they don't sugarcoat it. So I really like that about this film. Yeah, there's no sugarcoat in here, but uh, Tazzy, what did you make of this story? It was a ride. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember, I remember all those few hours ago that I watched it. <laughs> just like being in constant anticipation on like, like what's going to happen next? Like, are they going to get caught? What are the consequences going to be? Like, what? Like, where is this going? Like, how long can they keep this up? <laughs> like, what are they going to do next? This is getting wilder and wilder. Um, and then also, like, just being in a state of, like, who who am I supposed to be rooting for? Mm. Like, <laughs> mm. it was like, am I, am, am I supposed to be rooting for anyone? And I found myself, like, being like, oh, I really hope you have a, like, things turn And it was, like, so weird. At the end, I just sat there and I was like, Man, I don't, I feel like I need to watch it again, again, and just observe the situation rather than like attaching like my, my feelings to like individuals or groups. Like I don't, I don't need to root for anyone. This made me really think about like, do you need to root for a character in a, in a story? Or do sometimes you just need to observe the story play out <laughs> because it was wild. <laughs> my, uh, yeah, my like emotions and not so much my emotions, but like my, where I, where I aligned was just like constantly like up in the air. It was just like bouncing all over the place. <laughs> I was like, I'm so confused. <laughs> so confused to put my, where to put my alignment. <laughs> yeah. That's a that's a good point. I'll come back to that if I don't forget. But for me, like this film, uh, there's a Venn diagram of films that I've not seen but should have seen, and I'm using the podcast to see, and Oscar-winning films that I've also not seen. There's a Venn diagram, and the Venn diagram is a circle because uh, that's what we're doing here. Um, so I had not seen this film before. This is the first time I've seen it, but I knew of it obviously because it won the Oscar. And but interestingly, I feel. Somewhere, I don't know, my subconscious, I, I knew I was going to watch this film at some point. So I kept myself away from what it was about. I had some awareness, but I purposely like, kept myself away from what it was about. So the time came and that was the, this this weekend as we we're recording to watch this film. And like Tazzy said, almost observe because I knew it was something special. And I feel like this is a really special film. It's very well made. And it's the kind of story, it's the kind of narrative that I watch. and as a storyteller and you know, like uh, Christy and Gary as like, I guess fellow writers, I just realized we just got a bunch of writers <laughs> together. It makes me want to like go back and look at how I put together stories and see if I can do anywhere near <laughs> the level that has been done here. Cause it's just so like almost clinical in the way everything has been put together. And on a recent episode, I think it was the last deep dive we did. We talked about Wendell and Wild, which completely different film and not to, like disparage one one or the other but one of the things that came up in that is how there's like a lot packed in and not everything kind of connected and everything and i feel this is the opposite where like everything in this story is just purposeful meant to be there connects with the deeper themes and it's just so well done on a writing level on a visual level everything works together it's just like really solid competent and confident piece of storytelling and then uh the themes i'm big like sucker for themes are very relevant uh, and we'll get into that as we 
as we talk more. But yeah, I was very impressed um, with this from like almost like the first the opening scene. Just very impressed with the 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 quality of this story. So I'll do a recap um, for those like me and Tazzy who haven't just <laughs> uh, just seen it uh yeah, hours ago in some <laughs> some cases uh, and then we'll get into it and um apologies because i am going to butcher some of these names so apologies to any south korean listeners or just listeners <laughs> who are like uh yeah what is this guy doing but anyway the story takes us to a semi-basement flat in seoul where the kim family lives and struggles for money min hyuk a university student gives the family a scholar's rock meant to promise wealth as he leaves to study abroad, he has the Kim's son, Ki-woo, take over his English language tutor job for the daughter of the rich Park family, Da-hae. After his sister, uh, Ki-dyung, helps create a false certificate, Ki-woo is hired by the Park family. The Kim family then con their way to getting each member a job with the Park family. Ki-woo recommends Jessica, actually his sister, Ki-hyung, as an art therapist for the Park's young son. She then frames Mr. Park's chauffeur and then recommends her father, Ki Taek, to take his place. The Kims exploit the peach allergy of the Park's housekeeper, Moon Guan, to get her fired and Chung Suk is hired as her replacement. Ki Woo then begins a secret romantic relationship with Da Hai. When the Parks leave on a camping trip, the, kin, the Kims enjoy the luxuries of the house. But Moon Guan soon appears at the door telling Chung Suk she has left something in the basement. So they go to the hidden entrance to an underground bunker where Moon Guan's husband, Gwen Sai, has been living while hiding from loan sharks. He is also revealed to be the ghost whom the Park son saw long ago. The three other eavesdropping Kims accidentally reveal themselves to all be related and in on this scheme. Moon Guan captures them on her phone and threatens to expose them to the Park family. The Parks call as they are returning early due to a severe rainstorm. The Kims subdue and tie up Moon Guan and Gwen Sei in the bunker. The Kims eventually escape, but the torrential rain floods their flat with sewer water, forcing them to take shelter in the gym with other displaced people. The next day, Mrs. Park hosts a house party for Da Song's birthday and the younger Kims are also invited as guests. Ki-woo enters the bunker with his scholar's rock intended to kill Gwen Sei and Moon Guan. Moon Guan is already dead from a concussion she suffered earlier, but Ki-woo is attacked by Gwen Sei who uses the rock to knock Ki-woo out. And I think that's irony. Gwen Sei then stabs Ki-jung with a kitchen knife in front of the guest. Chung-suk grapples him and stabs him with a barbecue skewer. Wow, it's, it's a mad thing. While Ki-tek tends to Ki-jung, Mr. Park orders Ki Take to drive Da Sung to the hospital. He then sees Mr. Park's disgusted reaction to Gwen Se's older and snaps, angrily killing him with a knife and then fleeing. Weeks later, Ki Woo recovers from a brain operation. He and Chun Suk are convicted of fraud and put on probation. Ki Jung has died from her injury, while Ki Tek cannot be found. So Ki-woo spies on the park's former home, now owned by a German family, and sees a message in Morse code from a kitchen light. Ki-tech has been sending the message every day, hoping Ki-woo would see it. Ki-woo writes a letter to his father, vowing to earn enough money to buy the house and free him. The end of all that madness, because this is a mad, (laughs) mad occurrences. Um, And uh, yeah, apologies for any name butchering that I uh, probably did do. So yeah, I'm one of the things that like 
always strikes me is how people come up with stories and where they get their inspiration from. And uh, the director, Bon Joon-ho, uh, his real-life experience went into making this story that then went on to make history. So like I mentioned, we had Christian on for Snowpiercer, and that follows a trend of the director's work exploring quite dark social forces that shape the world. And it's quite a, yeah, this is, in a way, this is quite dark, but done in a humorous way. I don't know if you'd agree with that, Christian, or if, I don't know if you've seen Snowpiercer uh, 2, Gary. Oh, no, I haven't seen that. But I, I agree, it's very uh, satirical in its approach. Yeah, which I really um, appreciate. So I took this piece from the... Hollywood Reporter, which I'll put in the show notes, it just talks about the inspiration. So this is from Patrick Brzezinski at the Hollywood Reporter, who says, when South Korean filmmaker Bong Joon-ho was in his early 20s, he took a job as a tutor for the son of a wildly wealthy family in Seoul. He'd been introduced to the family, somewhat incognito by his girlfriend at the time, now his wife of more than 20 years, who was already tutoring the boy in English. So they wanted another tutor for maths. So he, so she put me forward as a trustworthy friend, even though I was actually really bad at maths, Bong explained. That's how it works with those jobs. It's not as if they put out lots of ads looking for domestic help, you're introduced. And I just love that, how just taking real life experiences and creating a whole narrative around that. And then this is something that went on to then become the first non-English language film to win a Best Picture Oscar, which is, which is mad. And then just like, took over in sense of uh, awareness given that this is a film is not in english as subtitles what do you think made it resonate around the world it's a great question and honestly it's i'm not sure the answer it's something that i actually discussed my um with my wife when we, when when i won an academy award i mean we watched it in the netherlands uh, when it first came out and i don't know why but it came out seemed to have come out in holland quite a few years after a few years, sorry, um, a few months before it came out in the US, and it got a lot of sort of uh, fanfare, obviously, when it came out here. But you know, I thought it was a solid movie, and I've already sort of said it's pretty. The production is, you know, near perfect, and I love the director already, and already had seen a few of his movies. But I didn't expect it so iconic and beloved. Not that it doesn't deserve it, but it's just why, you know, why this film particularly. I mean, the the main theme is globally relevant but i guess you know there are a lot of movies that have similar themes but i guess this movie there's so many more layers to the to the theme it's not just the usual rich first poor sort of um flick so i guess that made it more memorable than others i do remember also when it won the when it won the oscar that it picked up a lot more publicity than it had before like a lot of people were yeah. talking about it who i was surprised were actually um into sort of non-anglophone sort of films people are watching sort of movies that they didn't usually watch sort of subtitled movies but then the question still stands like why did it win an oscar in the first place mm. when you know there have been so many brilliant non-anglophone films that just get shoved into the foreign film category so why this one and honestly i don't really know the answer i mean maybe there's something to i'm not saying this is the reason but it could be a factor that korean film has become pretty trendy in the west i guess and even before Parasite, and I guess it increased after Parasite, but it was sort of starting to get pretty trendy. Like, you know, my wife's Tunisian and she's been watching sort of 
screen cinema and film for like 15 years and I don't know, so maybe it has something to do with it. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's perfect, but why this movie? There's so many other perfect perfect movies. I don't know. Maybe you guys have a better answer than, than me. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what Christian said, but um, I, I think the reason it did win is because, like, the cinematography was, like, it was so meticulous, like, it was so very intentional, and we hadn't really seen anything like that for a long time like just the way every single shot was like saying something on a deeper level is like outside of what the actors were doing themselves because the actors were great too but you know just the, the they're telling a story with just the shots themselves like so so that it was incredible and then also uh and this is my opinion you know like we know the the comic book films have kind of been dry, driving hollywood for for years now for over a decade and I think that things were were getting a bit stale, like a, a bit saturated at the time. And I think people were looking for something different. Like, so this was like a breath of fresh air, almost like when it came out. Um, so yeah, so I think that contributed to it as well. There's always something's for the yeah, just like different something different, something that's quality. I do think I'm just thinking about it now. How because of the the nature of the film, I feel like audiences like having to to work for something just enough like not too much because you'll put people off but just enough where so you've got like like meaningful and relevant themes i feel like regardless of where you are in a country like the, the themes in this unfortunately are becoming even more relevant but very relevant regardless of where you are and what language you're speaking in and in the way the film is constructed where not only do you you have things to think about after the film is done but you're having to work things out what do things mean and and like tying it all together and i feel there's a sense of satisfaction from an audience that comes from like oh i, I worked that out I, I feel good and it made me feel like I, I figured something out and i'm gonna it's gonna be more meaningful because of it i think there's something in there i'm not sure but but yeah it's just because it like it makes sense in the, in the times where we're at unfortunately because of the themes in it um because yeah this is a story that is looking at that haves and have nots so we have a film that's about a poor family, the Kims, who con their way into becoming servants of a rich family, the Parks. And what I found was quite interesting from very early on is that it's clear that the, the family have skills and like past achievements, but have either fallen on hard times or yeah, found their way on the edge of poverty because you know, it's going to be one of many examples of showcasing the like the intentionality of of this this film. But uh, I think it was like in one of the early shots, you see like a medal, like a silver medal. I think that's the the mum is a former athlete, and then you see that like the daughter has Photoshop skills. The son is is smart, but just hasn't pursued like that to anything meaningful yet. And I don't know if it, that stood out to anyone, but I was quite struck immediately that these aren't just like. I don't know, these aren't just like people who don't know anything or can't do anything. They, they're capable, but they just find themselves in this situation. I don't know if that itself is a commentary on sort of, you know, falling on hard times. Mm. But wasn't it a case like the dad, there was a business of some sort that failed? Because I yes. thought that then when we met the, the couple in the bunker, that mm. the guy from that, there was something yeah, same that, company. that was the same company. Yes. And so like that was also an addition. But I also found that the the Kims like 
they had all this skill and talent, a lot of it like misplaced and misused. Misused, yeah. <laughs> and like it was a combination of like hard times and then maybe like the hard times creating this this attitude. They were they were a bit I don't know. That's why like sometimes I was rooting for them and sometimes I wasn't because I was like, Yes, you you've fallen on hard times. But there's something about that family that they kind of get off on like scabbing <laughs> <Yeah>. people. <laughs> like <laughs> the daughter especially, I feel. Yeah, it was like they enjoyed it, but not just because they were poor. It's like they would have jo- enjoyed it regardless of if they were rich or not. Like, yeah, do you know yeah. what I mean? It was like sport for them, almost. <laughs> yeah, I, I felt that the same way. But I don't know, like Gary and Christian, because you've now seen it twice, is that does that come through? Did that come through for, for you? Like, what was your impression of both, like, the Kims in particular and the, the Parks as well? Yeah, I agree. Like, the Kims, they, they're, like, they're no slouches. They, they know a thing or two. Uh, they're very cunning as well. Mm. They have skills that they can use. But I guess it's part of the commentary to show that even though they have, you know, these skills and talents they they could still fall on hard times and anyone can i guess is is uh the narrative there but as for the parks one thing about them is like because they're 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 almost complete opposites because it's like they have all this money and everything but they don't have as many skills so it's like they have to rely on they have to use their wealth and rely on other people to help you know where they're weak kind of thing you know they specifically people like the kims exactly and and i think that's what the movie does so so well is like showing that disparity between the poor class and the rich class kind of thing um and just like showing how the system kind of puts them at odds against each other kind of thing even though they need each other in a sense yeah what do you what do you think christian did that come through for you Tazzy made a great point earlier on that um and i really agree with her about uh he didn't know who to root for because I didn't either. I mean, I don't think you need to root for someone, but it's nice to sort of, you know, you watch a movie, you really want someone to succeed or someone to sort of get the payoff. But um, yeah, I, I, I mean, obviously I had a lot of empathy for the Kims uh, in the whole you know, rich versus poor sort of point of view, but mm. I wasn't too drawn to them really, to be honest. And, and I didn't find them very likable. And I had a feeling that was Bong's, Bong's intention, maybe. Um, and I guess the main reason that I probably didn't like him, it's not because they were deceitful towards the parks, because, you know, they were trying to survive, they were trying to do what they had to do. But I, I just, they found it so easy to just get rid of the other people who were working for the parks. Yeah. Um, they, got rid of the, they got rid of the housekeeper, they got rid of the, the driver, and without mm. a second thought, I mean, the driver's not even, he's barely mentioned again in the film and they were probably in, I mean, we know the housekeeper was, but the driver was probably in a similar socioeconomic situation as the Kim. So, um, you know, I didn't, I found it was a bit of a cop out to say, oh, they were doing what they had to do, you know, like at whose expense. Um, but maybe this is, and I haven't found this discussed too often, but, uh, but maybe this was Bong's way of showing, you know, how the system makes the poor turn on each other. Yeah. I was going to mention not that. just the poor and the rich, but you know the the particularly when we get to the end and then we see the other family. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. And there's like the moment, and there's the the moment. Probably, I know it's really early on for me to talk about a highlighted point, 
But, <laughs> and, you know, I'm not going to remember everyone's names. I, for some reason, I can remember the brother and sister's uh, English names. <laughs> okay. Well, that's yeah. it. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's as far, and that's probably because I know people with those names. And that's like as far as I can remember people's names. But um, when the dad murders the rich guy, there's like that moment where I think he, I don't know, it looks like something just clicks in his head that's like, wait a minute. Yeah, or snaps. <laughs> yeah. That is like, wait a minute. And because he looks down at the dead body of the other guy and, and he's like, I think because, oh, because he like smell, the rich one smells yeah, him, right? Smells, yeah. And it like just clicks in him. It's like, wait, I've been like, I've been annoyed at the wrong person. <laughs> mm. Like, why? Like, they treat us the same. Like, we're just, they don't care. Like, they don't care about, they just treat us the same. And like, this guy was so grateful. Like, the other guy was so grateful to, to the rich family. But yet, he sniffed in them that way. That's what that's what yeah. I got. That was the inner <laughs> monologue that I heard from that look. And he like, stabbed. And like, that's the real enemy. The rich are the real enemy. Mm. But yeah, can't remember where I was going at that point. Yeah, oh, I think the rich are the real enemy might be something. Actually, that came up in Wendell and Wild as well. Maybe they are, they're closer than I thought. <laughs> um. I was just thinking on that point about, you know, who is the real enemy and... Gary sort of mentioned um, about the system, and I think it's uh, in. Uh, sorry, I keep thinking in the French title. Uh, in in Snowpiercer, for me, the end of it, it wasn't just you know the rich, the real enemy. It, it, it's the system needs to be dismantled. So the system mm. is the real enemy, and I think it was a similar thing in this movie because, like, even the parks, like they obviously were condescending and they were looking down and they were leeching off you know people. Like I, I don't think they're particularly shocking as far as sort of wealthy people going films. Um, and I'm not saying they were victims necessarily, but I don't think for me they weren't really the villains in the movie. It was the oh yeah, absolutely. They weren't the I heroes. Don't think, they weren't the I don't heroes. think they were the villains. I just think that was his thought pattern in that moment. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, I don't think absolutely. that was the story wise. I don't think they were the villains, but I think that was that was the inner monologue that I heard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I agree, and but. But it's quite widespread, the opinion, I think, that, that they were sort of the villains. You know, like when you read analysis of the movie, it's, it's, that's just sort of um, – but, yeah, but I just, just, I'm just comparing it with, uh, with Snowpiercer, how I think at the end of the day there's sort of um, – the train in Snowpiercer, that, that represented the system, and, it, and they decided to destroy the train in, in order mm. to destroy the system. But I, I, I did like – there's one thing, and I don't know if he was intentionally doing this, Bong, but um, – just sort of been looking at the difference in the families and how the plot was playing out. I, I did sort of like that. I don't know if it's intentional, but he did explore the sort of almost hypocritical idea that we resent the rich, but not, but on the other hand, we want what they have. Like, who are you blaming here? Like, who are we blaming for the, for the fault? Because we want, I mean, if someone came along and said, you can live in the, the house that the parks live in, I would. Yeah, of course, you take it that, all day. Yeah. <laughs> house. And, there are these incredibly honourable people out there that have that have that have had the chance to be rich and and they and they decide to sort of you know to not be and they're but I think that that they are probably a, a rarity and we all sort of intellectually would like to say that you know we we don't want this money and we don't want this house and we don't want this lifestyle because it's unfair nope. but um, get me out of here get me- <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> I mean I I didn't exactly grow up in the you know 
in wealthy surroundings, but I, I I can guarantee that everyone that I grew up with would would absolutely love to to sort of move on from from that situation, especially the ones that had it much harder than me. So anyway, I thought it was interesting. Yeah, and I'm I guess we're going to keep coming back to the sort of the intentionality of this, and when we see the family, like we see like I was going to say that the the trappings of poverty. I don't even think that's a <laughs> accurate statement, but like the show don't tell of like where these people are. Like we see them trying to steal Wi-Fi. Uh, from uh, free wi-fi specifically and um when like they're fumigating for like infections there's like leave the window open so we can get some of that because we got an infestation here as well uh so things of that nature so you really get a grounding on who the fam maybe not who the families are because they're all uh, we don't know who they are because they're, they're all con artists but like where they are who they are in in terms of like their station in life and and that's really well done from the beginning and the other thing that that really struck me is that this is almost two films or at least two different genres because why i really enjoyed i mean i enjoyed the whole thing but i really enjoyed the the first half particularly i think my favorite sequence is them taking over the family um and what is is almost like a heist film where they're planning to take out each servant to replace them with their own. And it made me think there's um there's a book, Save the Cat, by uh Blake Schneider, who's a screenwriter, and he wrote this book about the the formula of like particularly Hollywood films, Hollywood script writing. And he he coins this this phrase for a period in the film called Fun and Games, the fun and games section, where it's essentially like what the audience came to be is fulfilling the promise of the story. And it's where, yeah, as the title suggests, is where the people in the story, the protagonists typically have like fun and games. So, and he, he gives a bunch of bunch of examples. And I feel like that segment where we see the the Kims first, the son, then the, the daughter, then the, the father, then the mother, all like make their way into this family by just the most deceptive means but i I thought that was quite fun (laughs) like just seeing that and seeing the the cunning as gary said of that so that first half is almost like like uh satire it's like dark comedy quite funny and then we get to the the midpoint and then we switch from comedy to like very eerie like menacing thriller and it's very hard shift that happens when so the old housekeeper who they've gotten out based on a peach allergy and they've convinced the the park mother that the housekeeper has tuberculosis and she gets her out but then she comes back and it's so well done because when we see the housekeeper initially in the first half of the film she's like well put together she's been at the house even before the park family she knows where everything is she's just well presented and then we see her again and she's a mess and it's raining and her face is puffy i assume from uh, peach stuff <laughs> and very it's very unnerving and the situation that she's in is very unnerving and it just feels like all caught off guard i don't know how people felt with that shift in tone that was that was that jarring for you for you all or did you like just just take that uh, in in stride like what did you feel about that midpoint moment i was expecting a dramatic turn i didn't know what it was mm. but i was expecting a dramatic turn and then when she like we saw her on the viewer i was like oh like i don't know why i was like she's going to like murder is about to happen yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
it had that vibe. It just gave that because even when she was like packed her bags and left, that she like lingered and looked back. And I was like, there's a, and then when she come back, like, like her face was puffy. She kind of looked like she'd been beaten up to me, actually. Because it was, oh, yeah. There was like cuts as well. It wasn't just like puffy. That's a good point. Yeah. And I was like, and there was like a deranged look face at one point. Yeah. Like on the, and I was like, nah, this is serious. Something really serious is going to go down. <laughs> and even just be- like before she knocked and they're all like drinking and did it. I was like, this is, this is the turning point. Something need, like, yeah, yeah. this is all going to like blow up. And at first I was like, oh, the family is going to come back and it, you know, it's going to be the end of this. But then something, uh, there was like a point before the doorbell rang that I was like, nah, it's going to like blow up in a big way it's about to get trying really hard not to swear <laughs> it's about to get real crazy real crazy and i was just like there i was just there like i was excited and nervous mm. and just like lots of annotation because this film has done so well it, like it's fun but has you like i don't know it just there was a lot of things for me <laughs> yeah like i guess for the a good question for the like the writers did were you anticipating something, expecting something at, at that point in terms of like, because it, it was going well for them, like at, at that point, they were living up in the house. And were you expecting something like, would you have put something in that at that point? Yeah, that that exact moment. Um, yeah, I, I knew something was, was coming directly after that, you know, that would shift everything. Because like you said, Nigel, it was like, it was very much the fun and games segment kind of thing. So like you mm. get this, this very high moment of the family taking over the house and, you know, indulging in all the things that they've probably, you know, only dreamed of. And yeah, like I knew at that moment, something is going to happen. You know, the first time I watched it, I didn't, I I was thinking like, like Tazi, I I was thinking that the family was going to come back, but, you know, to have the the, uh, previous housekeeper show up, like, that's the kind of stuff I love because it's like a, uh, it's a twist, you know, it's, it's like a, a wild card yeah, kind yeah, of twist. Sure. Like, and it's, it's also their past, their past devious behavior coming back to haunt them as well. And like you said, like the, it, it kind of switched from black comedy satire and then shifted into thriller. But I like that they were still able to keep some of those those funny moments in there like when um you know the family's listening to the housekeeper talk to uh you know the the mother and and then you know they just like tumble from the stairs and and fall down <laughs> they come crashing down and that's that's how she figures out that the family's there and stuff like just little moments like that as well just it was just a nice blend of uh of the satire and the thriller aspect yeah or even when uh, the old housekeeper was trying to open the secret passage and it was stuck and then they, uh, they yeah. pulled off the thing and she just took <laughs> she took a tumble <laughs> that was like physical comedy just like uh, never fails to to work but yeah and just that that moment of like everything shifts and there's so much tone shifts like the, the genre almost shifts and you get the kind of cues to the tone so because she cuts the camera and you know just film language <laughs> you cut the camera and that's like someone's about to die because you, you don't want to see you don't want anyone else to see what's about to happen so it's th- those kind of cues but then you get a power shift as well and i thought that was so well done where up until that moment this 
woman. She's been let go. She's come. She's looking like ragged. Uh, you don't know what she wants. We're like following her down this basement. And then I think she's, when we discover, so we discover that her husband has been living there. He's run on the run from loan sharks and he's been living in the house because no one else apart from the old, old housekeeper and the architect who made the house know about this place. So the parks don't know about it. And she's like pleading with the, the new housekeeper to like, you know, let her stay and, and you know, just like there's some mercy. And then when the, the ruse is discovered and she has them on camera, the power balance just shifts completely. Now it's like, oh, I got you. And now you're going to do what I want. And that whole thing is just like, I thought it was so well done. Yeah, no, I agree. It was like that transition and that shift. I like the hanging moment of b- before the mom like is like, oh, I'm going to call the police where she's like, I guess, thinking of a plan to, I don't know. I don't know what her plan, but she was like, I need a plan. I need to, I need to like get something out of this. Mm. <laughs> and then I was like, you both have a secret now. You're, you're the same. Like, come on, like work together. And then it was like, no, nope. they chose violence. <laughs> they both chose violence. <laughs> yeah. And I knew they were going to, but in my head, I was like, there is an option. There is another option here, by the way. But yeah. They could have worked it out. It's, so it's like Christian was saying about the other commentary on people could have, or people in that position could have chosen to work together. And that kind of stuck out to me where in different situations, you get the people on the lower end basically fight instead of work together to get what they could all have. And in that moment, I thought that was well represented or badly represented because it's not a good thing. But the other thing actually, and uh, it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on this question, is that this this film has a disillusionment arc in the narrative. And again, is is things that just make me think about how I tell stories and what kind of like arcs the characters can can go on so i got this description from the well storied blog which uh, says that in a dis- oops, me. in a disillusionment arc your characters experiences a series of conflicts that hint at their tragic truth truth with a capital t but instead of facing this truth your character clings to the comfort of their lie and i feel that's what the kims are in and that tends to end in a less than positive way as it did here but in the west typically we tend to expect like happy endings like things work out everyone gets what they want and i wonder if that that almost like makes parasite success or at least to me even more surprising i don't know what you feel about that uh christian in terms of like how we again in, in the west sort of perceive how things are supposed to end in a narrative yeah that's a great point um i haven't haven't thought too much uh about that in relation to Parasite, but it, it definitely, that, that could even go back to one of your sort of early questions about why this movie resonate. Maybe it's because it wasn't the usual sort of Hollywood happy ending. Um, and I, I watch a lot of French film and it's definitely mm. a, a huge contrast with the endings and the characters and even with how people look, like the, they're not all beautiful with perfect teeth um, to sort of how, how it's done in Hollywood. So maybe that's one of the reasons it's kind of resonated and, and, and yeah, I guess there should be sort of when you look at the whole hero's journey sort of arc, you're usually, I guess, encouraged to sort of, you know, there's, there's the main character or the protagonist having to learn exactly what they need in order to achieve. No, sorry, having to learn, uh, ha- having to learn how they go about getting what they need 
rather than what they sort of want. What, but, yeah. but, but, it, but exactly what you said, that, that they don't actually ever really achieve that, do they? Like any of the families, no. really, I think, if you're looking back, like there's usually the point where I want this, I want this, but what do you need, actually? Not what do you want, what do you need in order to become a happy person or, mm. or whatever? But, uh, yeah, yeah, that's a great point that I haven't really thought about in that movie. Yeah, because here the it's that truth, right? It's that the it's almost like you you are where you are or you are who you are, and they are <laughs> lower class, and but they think mm. they can get out of that, and it's like like Tazzy brought up the that moment at the end where we see the the park father sort of hold his nose as he's trying to get the uh the the key under the, the I guess the body of the, of the basement dweller basically, and it's that that truth that capital T truth that just hits him and makes him snap and that's like that arc that they go on thinking they can get rise above their station and then hit with the truth of like you are who you are Mm. and then that's it (laughs) i guess happy ending so yeah again i just thought that was well done yeah like me personally i love like ambiguous endings and like Mm. endings that leave you thinking like I, i don't mind you know happy endings but i actually prefer endings that are not like clean cut like that Mm. like so i I love these kind of endings because uh to me it it just it just reminds me of like when i was a younger reader like when i was reading stuff like uh harry potter like like i still remember reading goblet of fire for the first time and like that's it's not really a happy ending because like in that book uh well i don't want to spoil for anyone who hasn't read but like a big a big thing happens like somebody comes back to life and they're a big threat right and like that just like it left me thinking about it for hours like like for weeks for months what I was like mean? what yeah what's gonna happen next like i i couldn't wait for the next book like i was just you know i was craving i had to know what was what was uh happening and i just love that feeling like of finishing you know a movie or book or film or whatever and just keep like i keep thinking about it like to me that's the sign of like great writing like leaving me thinking about it and craving more and you know it just it, it like it leaves something inside of me kind of thing so i love yeah. those kind of endings um and i actually struggle with this a little bit as a writer because people are always like in the projects that i write i feel like the audience are expecting happy endings or clean cut mm-hmm. endings but as a writer i'm always thinking ambiguous ending like it's just it's it's how I'm programmed. Like I'm always thinking about how to leave them like not confused, but just like uh, leave them wondering about, you know, what really happened to this character or uh, what does this mean? You know, I want, I want people to go away thinking about things a little bit. So like I'm always in that mode, but sometimes some of the projects I write, you know, it has to kind of just be a clean cut ending. So yeah, that, that's something, uh, something that i'm always thinking about as a writer yeah and yeah it's got me thinking about it as well in some of the my matter stories Mm. i love i love how i got like hoodwinked at this ending as well (laughs) because when he was like writing the letter and so it had it like visually it was playing out so i was like oh he, he did it (laughs) <laughs> and then it was like psych. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, you'll not know, but also I feel like it felt like an ending without being like the you know 
like the happily ever after but or like the morbid ever after it was just like the ending of this part of someone's story because you can resolve things and it's not necessarily like happy or extremely dark or anything yeah but it's resolved and I felt like, like walk away yeah I felt like it was I felt resolved from the ending yeah <laughs> I didn't feel like oh my god I need to know what happened next but it does like like Gary said, it has you wondering. And I really like that kind of ending where you feel like you've got a complete, it's kind of like you got a complete meal, but you didn't go for dessert. <laughs> and you also, you don't need dessert. Like, oh, you always you, need dessert, you, but okay. You, you could have left it um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because you, 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 had a, you had a good meal. And like, you know, the de desserts on the menu aren't necessarily that nothing's really standing out. So you're like, yeah, it's fine. I'm satisfied. Yeah. I can't say that's happened to me too much, but I uh, take your word for it. Wow. I feel like you need to have better meals. <laughs> uh, there's always room for dessert. Most of the time, 90% of the time. But, uh, maybe that's just a me thing. Um, so yeah, I just, I felt like, again, like the, the confidence and competence to go down that path and just to handle those different, the tonal, the complete tonal, shift and it still like hangs together i just just yeah uh so well done and another thing that was uh really well done and i i really like seeing this in films and it's one of those things that i aspire to do more of is the use of symbols and motifs and this is just like jam-packed uh with them and it all means something they all add to the overall theme and it's this idea so you have you have symbols that are used to represent something and if you you can use them once, for example, the the, the stone that is given to Kiwu, or I guess the family, but he's particularly takes hold of it. But then it comes up again, and if it's used again, it becomes a motif, and then it adds to the to the theme. And there's this concept in writing uh, called Chekhov's gun, and it's this idea that uh, anything that is seems to be unimportant becomes significant later in the story. So, I mean, you see it with like little guns in, in films. So if you see a gun, it's most of the time it's going to be fired later on in some way. So that kind of, or just, yeah, just resolution. So you can't show it and not fire it because like unresolved. Uh, so here we have kind of like a Chekhov stone because we have the, the scholar's rock that is given and made a big deal of. And then, you know, it's going to become significant in some, in some way. And I feel that the director even made a point of like highlighting it because Kiwi, when he picks up, he actually says this is so metaphorical. And I think he said that multiple times when he's looking at the stone and becomes obsessed uh, with it and what it means for the family. But yeah, that's one of the things that is seen. But then we get loads of other things like we talked about the smell and the smell is something that is repeated. So we see the smell at the end, but then the park uh, father, when they're trying to escape and you've got a few members of the family hiding uh, underneath like a coffee table and they're, they're talking about, the husband and wife are talking about a smell of poor people, essentially. <laughs> it's like saying the, the driver, he smells, he has a smell that I only see on the underground. Um, so smell comes up, the sun, uh, I think when they're in that fun and games moment, and they're all <laughs> infiltrating this this family. I think it's the son who has had some trauma or something. He smells the he smells the dad, and then he smells the mummy. Like they they smell the same. 
and that's like a moment of oh <laughs> are they going to get found out and then they have to talk about that and then things like the the stairs like stairs is a symbol that comes up again and again it's like that social mobility because they uh i don't know maybe like gary and christine because you've now seen it multiple times but i feel like they always go up to a higher station and down to a lower one or or less than favorable position i don't know if there was a symbol or motif that resonated with you in this film personally yeah so that that like what you just said with the you know the up and down the like the the cinematography has a lot of verticality to it so and it all it's all part of the symbolism of the film so it's like you know the poor family they live in that apartment that's like under the ground kind of thing Mm. but then their window kind of faces like upwards and out kind of thing so like they like when they're sitting down eating they look up and that's like looking up to hope like to they (laughs) want to ascend they want to ascend to a better position kind of thing so um i loved like just paying attention to everything they did with with that verticality uh because there was a lot going on with that where you know um uh, is it Kiwu? I think uh, when he first kind of goes to the park's house, when he's walking there and going up the stairs, like the camera yeah. is like behind him, but like low, it's like down. So it's like you, you see uh, him going up, like up, ascending yeah, yeah. up to, to the light kind of thing. Um, and then like some a lot of times when you see the Kim family together, like the camera will will be positioned up and it's looking down at them because they're, you know, at the bottom kind of thing. So there's a lot of that going on in the film and just like, um, because the first time I watched it, you know, I just watched it as entertainment and didn't really like pick up on everything. But watching it again, I could clearly like, you know, pick up on all of those those things and it just made me love it even more. Um, and then, you know, of course, the the rock as well. That's another big uh, symbol of the film. And uh, yeah, I can't I, I can't really put that one into words. But like, you know, obviously it, it, it's a symbol of like wealth and like it's supposed to. I think Min gives it to him to as a sign of like good luck and wealth yeah. and stuff. So that kind of plays into the whole story, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to struggle to articulate that one properly. So I'm not even going <laughs> to deep dive on it, <laughs> but, yeah. but yeah, there's, there's that one too. Yeah. I wonder like, um, Christian for you, is there, was there anything that stood out to you in terms of like use of, or, or symbols or things that you didn't catch on the first watch, but noticed on the second? Yeah. I, I can't quite remember. I mean, I watched. I watched it when it came out, I think it was, was it 2019? So I don't really remember what I sort of thought at the time, but um, I mean, Gary, Gary and you already sort of went into detail about it and explained it pretty well, but it was the obvious one of just the use of sort of up and down to symbolize their position on the social ladder. But for me, particularly with, with the Kims, um, you know, they live in the sort of semi-basement that gets flooded mm. and the, the housewife and her husband, or well, the husband was in in the bunker, and then there's the the man that was. What really stood out, I guess, with that use of symbolism was um or motives that was the the man that was urinating mm. on the Kim's house. So it's literally society just urinating on them. That's how we feel about you and people like you. And these sort of things, like when you watch that movie, these motives seem really, really obvious and really simple. You know, up, down. You know, we all know 
the sort of poor are seen as lower rungs um, in society. Yeah. But honestly, like in reality, it was really brilliant, like just a brilliant way to yeah. visually and emotionally sort of cement their position in society without being too heavy-handed with it. I mean, even though it was obvious, but they, you know, it was mm. more show, don't tell. And that's the thing, right? It's like, it's it's subtle. Yeah, absolutely it was. And it's, it's difficult to do. Like, I'm again, like I said at the, at the beginning, just it's this is a, uh, a piece of work that makes me think about how I do my work. And I'm like, oh, how, do, how can I put in symbols and not make it obvious, but put them in? Because things, there's certain things where you might not even catch it properly on the, on the first go, but then you watch it back and it's like, okay, cool. That's what we did that and that and that and then it adds up. But you just take it in subconsciously. Almost. And it's, it's a hard thing to do. If it looks simple, it, it's actually very difficult to do. Yeah, it is difficult. Uh, and I don't know if this, does it count as a symbol or just something I thought of actually after watching the film was the the idea of like the rain and how, well, not just the rain, but the sort of the flooding and how each family and therefore each like, you know, social class deals with it so you have this moment around the the midpoint where it's just it's raining like heavily and the parks are taking their son because it's his birthday so they're taking him away for a camping trip uh, and that's what lets the the kims be in the house and everything so when the <laughs> they discover the the basement and the the parks come home they've got to escape and it's just raining it's raining it's raining and for the rich family Rain is them cancelling the camping trip, getting the the servants to make them some food. And then the son then goes outside, makes his own tent, and it becomes like a a game almost. Then for the Kims and people around them, that means their homes are destroyed and everything, almost everything they have, they hold dear, is destroyed. It's like the same thing, but it impacts people in different parts of the you know the class structure like very very differently i thought that was a that was a really good use of that uh simple to show how different people can be affected wildly different by the same situation i, I was gonna say um i was just gonna say yeah i love i loved that too the whole flood thing and you know how it shows how it affects each family differently um and of course for the kims it, it flooded out their whole house and then they ended up in that gym shelter and that kind of led to like one of my favorite lines or monologues from from the father, where he was like, um, uh, I, I think Ki Ki Wu asked him asked him what his plan was um, yeah. for de- for dealing with you know the the housekeeper and her husband, and he he basically said, uh, if you if you make a plan, life never works out that way, you know, mm. just like everybody else in the gym, they they didn't expect to end up in the gym you know, sleeping today. So, you know, that just kind of hit home that, you know, you can plan to have the life you want or, you know, you can plan to get wealth and, you know, live in in a, in a rich house and everything. But life is going to always like throw you that curveball anyway. So it's like, you mm. you know, it's hard to really make yeah, plans like that. that is, so, uh, yeah, quite wise words from, <laughs> uh, from, the, from the dad there. Yeah, there's, I, again, there's just there's so much in here, and we talked about the the visuals and how the visuals add to the viewing experience, but the the narrative uh, and the themes. So we see, like you know, Gary's already mentioned, like the the housing situation 
of the Kims is like underground. It's it's cramped, and the the parks live in this almost glacial estate. It's well protected. It's it's aesthetically pleasing, and yeah, it just reinforces the image of them. But then, like we've said, like just visually, it is just great. And so there was um the aesthetically pleasingness of uh, the different uh, scenes, but also how people like were placed in them. I didn't consciously pick up on this while I was watching. It was only when I was, it was only when I was putting the notes together that it made sense. Cause the, the two scenes that reinforced this for me, uh, were when the Kims who we meet at the beginning are like, they're folding pizza boxes for like some money, but they didn't do a good job and they're getting like penalized for it by the, I guess the boss or the boss's sister or whatever that situation was. And then I don't know if you uh, if you will remember. There's a scene where they kind of almost like ganged up on her, so it's very tight and close. And I think the the pizza box lady in the center start to feel quite claustrophobic as they kind of ganged up around her, trying to get a get a job in. And then even when they we meet them, they're all very like close together. And in the scene, uh, there's a scene in the park house where the husband and the wife are quite separate from each other. And they sat down. I can't remember what the situation was, but they sat down and there was like a gap between them. I don't know if you, you all felt that, that, that the differences in like the closeness between the two families. Yeah, um, I definitely noticed it when they were, when they were, um, when the Kims were, when they were like hanging in the living room drinking and that, like they've got, they're in this massive house. Like mm. it's humongous. Even that room is giant and they are like so close together. Yeah, it's true. In this small space, smallest percentage that they're taking up of this space as possible. And they're just like right there together. Like they're not even spread out a little bit. Like they no, are all, like, all in. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're they're just as as tightly packed as they would be in their their like basement small little apartment, I think you'd call it. But there's all of this space around them. They're looking out on like this big open window. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Whereas the and you know, whenever they're they're whenever they're around each other, they're often like really close together. Like they are a family unit. Like they're yeah. they seem kind of inseparable. Whereas the the other family are often like in their own rooms. And if they are in the same vicinity as each other, they're like so spread out. Like, I barely see them make contact with each other. Whereas it feels like the Kims are constantly, like, you know, tripping over it. Like, there's always contact between them. There's always, they're always, like, physically connected in, in ways. Um, and the other family, you just rarely ever see, like, a hug or a, just, just in anything. For such a, like, quote-unquote happy family. Yeah, makes you wonder. Yeah, and the, the that also like reminds me of the the fact that um, the constant like, oh, because you love her, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah, because he laughs, and he's like, he... yeah, 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 sure, we'll call yeah, it that. Yeah, we'll call that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I forgot about that. Um, so yeah, we had like some yeah interesting visuals, interesting characters, I and mean, we really talked about uh, a number of the characters. It'll be I'll be interested to know which characters like stand out or resonate in particular i did want to mention like because again from a like writing and creating a story perspective 
uh, we do workshops uh, with young people and one of the things like I tell them about characters like your characters you only see your characters when they're put in pressure situations and then how they react is like their character so I typically show um, from the Pixar in a box because Pixar have a good series about uh, storytelling and everyone on character two characters in a lift or an elevator if you're American and the elevator is stuck and then the two characters react very differently one's calm composed the other's frantic and panicky and then I go hey look at these characters make your characters different how did how do they react in a crisis in this film we have the crisis when the old housekeeper comes back he's got them on on camera and there's a moment where she slips and the camera the phone slips and they go for it and they try to tackle them and and wrestle them and I shouldn't have laughed because <laughs> it's not funny but I laughed it was funny seeing the the daughter Kim's daughter Jessica we use her English name uh who's like it struck me as like a loose cannon <laughs> kind of situation she went straight for the peaches and I thought that said so much about her character because the, the maid uh the housekeeper is like I think they're definitely allergic to peaches. Mm. And in that moment of crisis, she ran to the fridge, grabbed some peaches, and just rubbed them on her face. And like that was excessive amount excessive. as well. It wasn't like just she like got a, all of them. Yeah. It wasn't <laughs> like bag. just enough to to like stop the, no. the situation. It was like <laughs> I'm gonna finish you. <laughs> it was like that that says so much about like who she is. Uh, as a character um so in a bad way that mm. stood out to me but i don't know if there were any characters that stood out to you <laughs> so for me it it was jessica and kevin mm. who they both kind of stood out to me because they're kind of like opposites but not completely because <laughs> i think like jessica's a just she is a bit of a loose cannon and like she's just a bit I don't know, like, she's evil. <laughs> she just has an evil look at her. Yeah. Even, like, her, like, tutor persona is like, don't come in the room. Like, she's so demanding and, like, I don't know, she reminds me of, like, a a villain. Like, a not quite a Disney villain, but a, but a fairy tale villain. Like, the evil queen type mm. villain. Like, that is her energy. <laughs> Whereas then, like, Kevin's more... I don't know. I feel like he he seems more like he's lazy and he's trying to get away with doing the bare minimum. Yeah, because that was his thing, right? That he's intelligent, but he just can't get this can't get past the exams. Yeah. And like he just doesn't have the full motivation. I feel like he questions like morality a lot more. Like I feel mm. like there's moments where I see him like weighing, it looks like he's weighing up. Like, is this just like a really bad thing to do? But oh, I take so much effort to do the right thing. <laughs> and like, I don't know. Yeah, that's what, what it seems. Because there's a lot of times where he's like quite doubtful and like, is this, is this okay? I feel like there's a lot of moments where he pauses. Whereas like, Jessica's just like, he's let's go it. for it. <laughs> yeah, she... <laughs> Every moment she gets like... <laughs> Oh man, those peaches! Wow. But uh, uh, Gary or, or Christian, were there any characters that stood out or resonated with you? So for me, it was absolutely like an easy, easy who my uh, Barry character was. It was the housekeeper. He was just an ab- absolute dog with a bone. Like 
she was so desperate to help her husband and um and in a lot of ways i you know i see her as the real well her and her husband as the real victims of the, of the film like they mm. they had a good thing going until the sort of kims came along and destroyed everything <laughs> um wow you messed know, up good thing you know been living in a basement i don't know if i quite worded that correctly but they definitely they had something going and her acting was was just incredible like she goes from this sort of well-behaved and refined housekeeper into this desperate woman who would you know who would do anything to help her husband and and i really loved this the scene where she arrives uh, when the parks go away and she arrives at the house and she, she's just on that intercom video and she looks manic and just really quite deranged. And her mask, that sort of mask that she had on around the parks and, and even the Kims, it just came off. You know, as soon as she lost the job, that just came off and, and you sort of, you revealed, you know, you could see that who she was. And in a lot of ways, I think the way that, that her mask came off quite easily, it, it Sort of that was it was I don't know if it's a theme, but it was something that I I feel that they were all wearing masks in this movie. You know, they were sort of the the Kims were being deceitful towards the Parks, and the Parks were wearing this sort of pretentious and superficial sort of masks. And in a lot of ways, that's what we're doing um, in reality. I guess you know we're always wearing masks, crowds and different people. And but yeah, I really loved. Um, I mean, the cast, the cast was absolutely amazing and like the acting was incredible and they all you know all the characters worked really well together and they you know represented different things so but um yeah she was great how about yourself gary uh yeah what what i really love about this film as well is that it's so morally gray like i think tazzy said it like you can't tell who's good or bad or who you're supposed to be rooting for you know it's like it's just morally gray but like christian said the the housekeeper is and her husband are probably you know they're the victims so in terms of good or bad those are like the good characters but me personally i i just really enjoyed watching ki jung which is a uh, jessica i just <laughs> enjoyed watching her character because she she gives me like sociopath or psychopath yeah <laughs> psychopathic vibes like yep because ki woo he he's being deceptive because he has aspirations you know he wants to be successful but mm. she he's here to have fun <laughs> yeah <laughs> she just enjoys it you know um there's that there's that one scene where ki woo um i think he asks like how how were you such a good art therapist to uh to the child and she was like, oh, I just Googled art therapy <laughs> and, and, and improvised. Like, it just, it just came naturally to her. Like, uh, so honestly, I just enjoyed watching her. Yeah, I agree with that. Cause, uh, yeah, no, when, <laughs> boy, that, I've never, that's going to stick with me. When she, cause when she, when they were fighting over the phone and she ran away, I, I thought she was running away. I was like, where's she going? And she get to, I was like, oh damn, that is. I didn't even think of that. Like in that moment. Wow. She is a killer. Um <laughs> so it's just like, do you see this dark corner here that's that yeah. schizophrenia? <laughs> and I, I know because like, that's where I live. <laughs> <laughs> She's talking out of her behind <laughs> right now. <laughs> oh. And uh I'll so I thought that the Kim dad was an interesting because I, I couldn't quite get a, a read on him until the end because at the start he felt like I almost felt like what are you doing in that situation because you you strike me as someone who shouldn't be in that 
situation and he almost he didn't feel like he belonged there and then you kind of find out where he's come from and what the whole situation one of the other characters i feel sorry for is is min i didn't realize that's the beginning but my impression is min has also been suckered by this family or at least kiwu because the whole deal was that he's leaving i think he said that you know he was interested in was because he was he also interested in the park daughter yeah, he was going to ask her out. Yeah, like, I can't he... trust anyone else, but I, I'm going to leave you with her. The assumption being, I know you're not going to do anything. And this guy just went straight That's in. That's the moment he bought. Like... Yeah. <laughs> 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 like, I didn't waste any time. It's like, oh wait, you don't know who he is either. And it was like he kind of like was someone that wanted to like give an olive branch out as well like you know this this helps both of us you look after the girl that i'm into and then you can earn some money i know your family is struggling like it's a great yeah, opportunity help you out yeah and then he was like yeah i don't care and, but yes. he even questioned it at first like when he said no he's like you sure i'm qualified for this and then first moment you get is like snake like absolute <laughs> oh. snake I do wonder, like, what the year after he comes back from a year abroad, yeah, like, and everyone's <laughs> dead. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, like that um, that meme from a Community where Donald Glover like goes to get pizza and comes back and everything's on fire. Mm. <laughs> and uh, also, I like, have to find the, that meme as well. The daughter's like un like was really really into Kiwu. Yeah, yeah. She even carries him at carries the end, him, yeah. right? <laughs> Yeah. I was like, <laughs> she's not giving up. She is like, <laughs> she is smitten. <laughs> oh, fair play to her. Like, yeah, got some hidden strength. Didn't didn't see in that frame. So, uh, I mean, we've we've talked about like the themes a lot. So I'll, I'll just run through these and see if there's any that we missed. But I feel this is a film where there are strong themes. They are well conveyed, well baked into all aspects of this film. So we see the class conflict and the power dynamics, um, like the difference between who has the power and who doesn't. So we see them on a, like from a class level, like the family, uh, the different families. But then, like I mentioned at the midpoint, we also see the the shift, the power dynamic shift between the, the two lower class families um, as well. Another interesting one was like the idea of like, crossing crossing the line i think visually there's a moment where the first housekeeper tries to wake up the mother when um kiwu first enters the home and the way the uh, the frame is shot there's like the mother is on one side and she's sleeping or passed out or something and then the housekeeper's on the other and there's like a line i think it's the line of the window but there's a divide that she has to cross and then the father the park father when he's being driven around in the car well when he's talking about the driver he's like you know he doesn't cross the line and i like that um about it and you've got this like divide between the people in the back of the car the front of the car there's just the whole like things going on uh in this and we mentioned uh kiwu and so we've got the families the idea of like we talked about stairs and the idea of like that representing social mobility the smell like like identifies the kims as poor because they have the smell of poverty and they can't escape that but then with Kiwu, this whole imposter syndrome thing happening, because I feel all the family, he's the one with like particular aspirations to be in this in this class because he wants to fit in and be in that place. And then at the end, when they're having the birthday party, he asked the, the daughter, like, I can't remember the exact phrase, but he's like, do I fit in? Do I look like the others or do I fit in here? 
and he has that moment of like everyone looks so cool and so put together it's like do I look like I fit in and it's that questioning self-doubt situation which I thought was interesting and then the failure of plans which is uh, very philosophical from uh, the dad about trying to make a plan and it will go wrong in ways you can never protect predict but yeah I, I don't know just like the themes in this were just so well well done and well executed um, I don't know if there's anything that stood out yeah I think I've sort of like highlighted the ones that stood out to me the most there was also another moment when it was pouring down with rain after they just escaped and um, Kiwi was standing at the top of the stairs down into the area that they lived in mm. and he he stopped and did like pick something up or something and then like there was a shot where it was kind of like his perspective looking down at the water running, running down. I still don't quite know what that moment means, but it stuck with me. Okay. Like, I, I, I don't, don't know that. why, but it just, <laughs> like, it was powerful, <laughs> mm. but without like the actual, I don't know what I was getting from it, but it, it stuck. And I probably, at some point, I'll rewatch this and maybe understand that moment or at least understand why it stuck out to me so much but yeah it was definitely like a a moment i feel that is yeah there's there's so many moments um where there is i mean we've, we've talked about different aspects of the film i don't know if there's any sort of final thoughts on i guess what you maybe what you what you took from the film either a particular theme or lesson like what did you take or what did you think this film was trying to say because I got the impression that it was there was something being said about the inescapability of your station because we saw them trying the, the Kim's trying to move up, but in the end they are who they are and they they were shown to be that by the end. I don't know if that's what the film was trying to say or what did you all take away from it. I mean, for me, I guess I sort of already touched on it, but just basically that the system has to be has to be smashed, and mm. I'm not. I'm not always sure exactly what we talk about when we say the system, you know, we can talk about late capitalism, but, you know, it's not like in medieval times that there weren't the rich and the poor and that, you know, the poor haven't always suffered, not just under, you know, our current system. So I don't know, but, um, but, but that's what I took away. It was just that mm. not necessarily that they were all victims or, or that they weren't all a little bit responsible for the perpetuation of the system. Well, at least some of them that, yeah, that like Taji said at the start that, you know, you didn't know who to root for and who were the heroes, who were the villains. It was all, you know, it was all grey and and um, that we certainly um, can start, so, you know, trying to fix the problem by by looking at what is in place and what is causing this, this huge disparity in um, socioeconomic standard. And it's not just people like the Parks who are probably, I mean, I don't know how rich they really were and, but. You know, if you look at the one percent who control most of the wealth in the world, they're sort of a bigger problem than the than the park. So, you know, where do we start? But yeah, that's that's sort of what I took from the movie, I guess. But I think it's what a lot of people took. It's not like this, you know, incredibly original idea that I have. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> um, it was pretty. Uh, it was, you know, it hit us with the main theme. Sort of bong hit us with a sledgehammer. Mm. You know, it wasn't very subtle, which which worked well. It was how we conveyed that overarching theme that I think was brilliant rather than, you know, the actual originality of the of the theme. I, I agree with uh, Christian. I, I took the same kind of thing from it. Like, 
with it being like the system because the thing is like the movie doesn't really mention there being a system or you know it doesn't mention the government but you know it's just kind of like clear to see that like the these families are stuck in 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 their position and they're made to see each other as like opposites or opposition you know if you will like you know even with what mr park says about crossing the line it's like um you know it's like a very metaphorical because it's like he he's talking about you know the driver not overstepping i guess in the conversation but he also means that you know he doesn't want a driver who's gonna overstep and try to come over to the rich side like he does he doesn't you know on you his know side of, <laughs> exactly yeah so that's kind of what i took from it is it's a commentary about you know uh classism and you know the system kind of locking these two positions in in place and and uh unfortunately pitting the people against each other yeah that's kind of what i took from it i took a question of what truly brings you happiness because uh. you had a rich family that they had all the material wealth but they were like family wise they were quite distant mm. didn't really seem like there was any love the only the only love that existed in that family seemed to be the mom and the son and the dad and the son but it seemed like everywhere else like there was they just kind of like lived together yeah. <laughs> there wasn't there didn't seem to be like real happiness there a real love but you know they had all the material wealth they were comfortable in that sense had all this like undealt with trauma from the from the the son but then like the daughter was like so left out or at least she seemed to feel left out but then we we look at the kims and like they're a really really close family but they do not have material wealth whatsoever <laughs> like Mm. Um, and they're like completely unsatisfied as well. And then we've got the the couple, the housekeeper and bunker dweller. <laughs> um, and like the bunker dweller is so grateful. For everything. Everything. But then, and like they, they have content, I think. But not they were happy real. where they were. But I don't know. So this is why I say content, but and not content. happiness. Yeah, yeah, that's a because yeah. they're still no, right. contained to that space and like having to sneak up and like you know it was kind of there was still a lacking there. But they were by far the I would say probably the the most accepting. Yeah, the accepting. They're kind of like the most accepting of where they where they are and like satisfied with that they've got the the best situation of the best of what they can in that situation you know because they're like scared of like the debt collectors as well right but yeah and it, it, i really feel feel like it posed that question of like what what really brings you happiness and where does that lie what do yeah, you want that's in a life? good that's a good question hmm. i think yeah I, one of the things that i took away is like because uh, there was a moment where I, I forgot the title of the film and then and then said it because when when Kiwu got in and then he got the sister in and then he got uh, the dad in, I was like, 
these people are parasites. I was like, oh yeah, that's the title of the film. <laughs> that makes sense. It <laughs> was the same moment for me as like when the dad got in. That's when I was like, oh, parasite. I get <laughs> but then later on, uh, just seeing how the parks treated the the Kims or the, just the help and how their lives depended on these people. And I was like, oh, who are the real parasites here? Because they can't live without uh, the Kims because they're not doing all these all, all these things themselves. And it's like that, yeah, that <laughs> cross-parasitic relationship. It just reminded me that, in a sense, like we, we all kind of need each other in some sense, even if people are at different uh, economic or class uh, levels. Like, yeah, we, we all need each other to, to make things happen, at least the, the way we all live now. It's just a reminder of that that came across to me in, in watching this. But yeah, there's just so much in so much in here. Definitely, I need to watch it again, learn from it, take new lessons as well, and just be like, this is how you can make a story and, and what can I learn for future My Matter stories. So I was very impressed, very impressed with it. But yeah, we hope you enjoyed that discussion. Um, let us know what you think about this story, what you took away, whether you have a peach and allergy, just a, a mental note. And before we wrap, just want to make sure we get to this week's storytelling tip. Each time we do a deep dive on the podcast, I like to pull out a storytelling tip for others to consider when making their stories. So this is a consideration from someone who also creates stories and likes to learn from the techniques or mistakes of others. Uh, so for today's episode, I wanted to discuss or discuss again using symbols and motifs because it's something that is done just so well here. It just keeps bringing up things that uh, I want to make notes of. But in, in general, like the use of symbols in a narrative is all about the art of using uh, objects, characters, or actions to represent abstract ideas and themes and making them more tangible and relatable to the audience. So it's something that's important for reinforcing your story's themes and creating something that's more immersive, a more immersive storytelling experience. And symbolism is the bridge between the concrete and the abstract to make it easier for the audience to connect with those themes. And you have different like levels depending on the use. So you have uh, symbols, which is, can be a word or an object that represents an idea beyond its literal meaning. So basically something that represents something else. And then the motif is a recurring symbol that appears multiple times throughout a piece of work and it's something you can point to in a story so it's something concrete and then these all add up to narrative themes which is uh, something that is abstract so parasite really is like a masterclass in the use of symbols and symbolism and the film uses that in so many ways like the the physical space within the house that can illustrate the social hierarchy and the economic inequality so we get the contrast between in the basement uh, was the term Taz used basement dwellers? <laughs> so the ba basement where the the poor Kim family live, and the luxurious upper floors where the wealthy Park family live, and that symbolizes the class divide. Um, but there's other examples as well. One that I particularly liked was the uh, use of staircases in the film that represent the literal upwards and downward mobility of the characters and the divide in South Korea society, or I guess just <laughs> every society uh, really. So we see the characters' movements up 
and down the stairs reflecting their changing social status and power dynamics. So we see the symbol of the stairs that represent moving up and down social classes. That symbol becomes a motif when it's represent when it's repeated. So like we see early on Kiwu walks up the stairs to the park house for the first time, or when the Kims are escaping the park house, we see a good shot of them running down the stairs back to their semi-basement. Um, so these all add up to the overall theme of the difficulty or maybe the impossibility of upwards mobility in society. Um, but there's uh, other examples in other stories. So we previously spoke about Satoshi Kon's anime film Perfect Blue in episode 55, which has is another great example of the use of symbolism, which is equally effective. So for example, the duality of the main character, Mima, and the use of uh, her reflection in mirrors and mirrors symbolizing her fractured identity and the blurred lines between reality and illusion. They can be less subtle. Uh, if anyone has seen The Revenant, the moment, uh, if you haven't seen the film, you might have seen the moment where Ego basically fights a bear and that bear serves as a powerful symbol in the film representing nature's relentlessness and brute force. So uh, it's a big moment in the in the film um, as well. Or even something that you uh, either seen in the film or you've just seen it being memed uh, elsewhere in the matrix the choice with the red pill the blue pill are very big and powerful symbols of choice and awakening so they represent the decision between accepting a comfortable illusion or facing the harsh reality which is the uh, idea for the film's central film so for your stories there are some things to consider when trying to work in themes and or symbols and motifs and themes into your uh, story. So number one is try and make use of layered symbolism. Way easier said than done. Uh, I'm trying to think about it for myself. But the idea of using multiple symbols and motifs that intertwine in the story, so they should all add up to the primary theme. So you should know what you are and what you're trying to say. But then the idea of giving the audience something to work out or interpret in their own way add that complexity not too much but enough to make people think uh, and figure things out which i i'm pretty sure people like uh, like doing uh, number two is character transformation or uh, how it relates to your story so using that symbolism to mirror the growth or change of your characters what i really liked in parasite is we see different symbols being used at different stages and how that relates to the character's changing station. I feel the characters don't necessarily transform as such, but their realization of that capital T truth does change and symbols are used to reinforce that. So that would be cool. And then number three is the subtlety subtext. Again, easier said than done, but the most powerful symbols are often the ones that are not immediately obvious. So you want to allow your audience to discover and interpret them, pulling them into the narrative without overwhelming them. So it's about using symbolism to enhance and not necessarily overshadow or overwhelm uh, or get in the way of your storytelling. And then number four, last one is about clarity and consistency. And Christian mentioned it early where you have, again, as I say it for the third time, easier said than done, but repeating those symbols, making them clear and consistent throughout the narrative. So they build up and are cohesive uh, as they add towards your, your theme. So yeah, it's uh, it's very it's very well done in this film. But a few things to consider when uh, building up your theme 
foo symbols motifs and the like so that is the tip for this week let us know if you're making your own story and you're using symbols or have some tips around that before we wrap tazzy let's check in with our guests and find out what they are up to so if we could get some information on what latest project uh, or any interesting news that either of you have coming up and also where everyone can find you so if we start with christian well i always forget what sites and what my usernames are but ge- if you generally just type in my um my name christian then Karnush, c-a-r-n-o-u-c-h-e i'm on uh, instagram threads twitter Facebook, yeah, I do have a website, but I don't use it much anymore. It's carnishproductions.com. But uh, I have a bit of news, actually, mostly with comic books. So I've got a couple of short comics um, coming out in anthologies, and both with my good friend, Renee Rientes, who I met when I was living back in back in the Netherlands. And Nigel, I know you, you know her too. One is a pretty spooky sort of... Story in the Figments of Passion anthology, which which is curated by Renee herself, and another short story about the dangers of narcissism and social media, which is in the Gods Untold anthology, which was just I think like a month or two ago funded on Kickstarter, and that's actually my these this, these would be my third third stories with Renee so far. We really enjoy working together. And we're good friends as well. Uh, And I have some pretty big publishing news, and this is legit the first time that we've mentioned it publicly, but my wife, Miriam, and I, uh, so we wrote a graphic novel that's set between Sydney and uh, Tunis that sort of explained, it explores the meaning of home and what it means to live overseas um, while also dealing with grief. Uh, It's not based on our lives, but, you know, I'm Australian, she's Tunisian, we both lived overseas for a long time, but it is inspired by our sort of... um, experiences having to make you know this is now for example this is my third country i'm in new york now it's my third my third country in three years so you know just about how, how do you make how does something become your home uh, sam sam rapley who lives just outside of boston is the artist and uh, he's not only sort of like a massive talent but he's also just really easy to work with has a great fresh and unique uh, style it's his first full-length comic but I'm pretty sure everyone's going to know his name soon, and I'm not. And they aren't just empty words. I really mean it. Uh, Cardinal Ray pretty much does all of my lettering, and she's done a great job job yet again. And James Emmett edited the original script. So with that long-winded introduction, I am sort of seriously really happy to announce that it's going to be published by Fabrice Sapolsky at Fair Square Comics um, here in New York. Uh, Nigel, I believe you might have had him on yeah, one of your creative I've... talks before. I've interviewed um, Fabrice maybe a couple of times, at least once, okay. or maybe once and then talked to him after that. But uh, yeah, I need to catch up with him. Yeah, he's uh, he, yeah, he's been awesome. But um, most people might know him as the co-writer of Spider-Man Noir, um, but he's edited sort of quite a few big big publishers and really knows what he's doing. And I mean, his, his, um, his company is relatively new, just a few years, but it's already published sort of huge, some huge creators like Ibrahim Mustafa and Marguerite. Sauvage and he has like this massive huge vision for the company that is what really attracted us to him and he likes he really likes stories with a strong message which is you know what we hoping to bring um you know you can find their books all over bookstores and comic stores over the world and it's um it's really my dream to sort of go somewhere like 
Midtown Comics in New York City or Barnes and Nobles and to see our book there. Because other than some short comics that have been published by other people, I've only ever self-published my longer form comics. So yeah, I'm super, super pumped. And finally, I'm still pitching my literary fiction novel, which is a philosophical coming of age story set in Sydney in the late 1990s. And that was a bit from me, but that is it. Awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely uh, put some links in the show notes um, to help everyone find those. Um, And Gary, what about yourself? Uh, Yeah, first of all, congrats on the the project, Christian. um, Thanks, mate. Yeah, as for me, you can uh, you can find me on X at Gary Swaby, um, at Gary A Swaby on Instagram, I think, but I don't really post that much on there at the moment. And uh, there's also like my main website, which is GaryAswaby.com. Um, and as for news, at the moment, me and a couple friends at, at the Coalition, which is uh, the the website I'm a part of. We've been uh, recording our Power podcast recently, where we recap every episode of the Power TV series, which is a crime series. And um, we're going to be publishing the finale episode of Power Book 4 Force Season 2 this week. So uh, if you're into those shows, then definitely check out the Powercast. You can find us on Spotify, uh, YouTube, uh, Amazon Music uh apple podcasts like anywhere you get podcasts we should come up on there so uh yeah that's something and then also i've for the past five months i've been publishing a a, a weekly serial fiction series called uh mirror mortal and this story is is basically about a group of superhumans that have kind of been corrupted by the government to carry out like secret covert operations where they tamper with foreign nations and stuff and then there's uh there's an activist group that forms to kind of combat the 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 rogue superhuman um characters uh so like this story it's like it's very much inspired by metal gear solid and the boys so it's like political intrigue and action adventure with a bit of thriller in it so that's uh mirror mortal you can find it at mirrormortal.com um and you know i'm currently publishing it chapter by chapter so every week i publish a new chapter i wanted to kind of challenge myself with with that format like the serial uh slash web novel format which is why i did it so yeah um at the end of the season i will be putting out a full book volume of this project so you can also just wait for, you know, the, the full book version of it. But that's what I'm currently working on at the moment. Awesome. Both such cool projects going on. Um, again, links in the show notes so that you can find those more easily. And thank you both so much for being on today. Thank you for having me. Thanks, guys. Always fun to be on. And um, I even though we're sort of, I guess I'm brought on as a writer, I always find that I learn a lot myself discussing Put these films with you guys so i appreciate that no i uh, appreciate you spending the the time with us and yeah no it's always good to like analyze things and pick up new things to learn so that's really cool so yeah thanks for joining us and thanks for listening uh to everyone 
who's still with us and made it all the way to the end uh, of another episode. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Story X Story. Make sure you subscribe if you haven't already so you don't miss a future episode. Uh, you can give us a five-star rating and review as well, which helps us reach new listeners and fans of story discussions. Uh, we are also story creators. I think this is the, the most writers that we've had on the show on one time, but uh, you can catch our manga universe uh, online. So we've got all our titles available at mymatter.com forward slash manga from our very first Samurai Chef to the latest series Through the Fog and soon to be uh, Against All Odds on there uh, as well when we get that done. Don't forget, you can also join our Studio 77 Discord today and get ready as we prepare for the new Studio 77 membership coming in the new year, which will give you access to our video content that we've been pumping out on uh, Twitch, as well as other comic content and uh, special access to events as a member as well. And uh, as we look ahead to the next year, our Do I Look Like a Game Art video game representation campaign will be back. Uh, we've got one event this year, and then we're going to do it all again uh, next year. So it's our yearly initiative for diversity and inclusion in the video games industry and culture. So we've got a bunch of plans, things that we learned uh, this year, new opportunities that we're going to carry on into next year. Uh, one of the things that we'll do again is the photo campaign featuring 40 players and makers. So you can check out looklikeagamer.com because we'll put up... Uh, a way to potentially be involved. So we're going to put a call out to be part of the 40 for 2024. So check that out for details on how to get involved. And uh, we release new episodes on of the podcast on Thursdays that include creator interviews, video game discussions, and deep dives into stories across pop culture. Uh, you can always give us a shout directly. Our email address is studio77 at myamada.com and our website, with links to subscribe is mymatter.com forward slash story x story. Uh, so thank you for tuning in. And until next time, stay safe. And remember, forget the kindness of strangers. If someone in need knocks on your door in the middle of the night, do not let them in. Or if you must, always keep a peach handy, I guess. Take care, everyone. Mm -hmm.